Globally, central banks have adopted an accommodative stance to support the economy. Yields in the US are around 1.5%. In contrast, yields in India are around 6%. On today's episode, we have Samyukta Vibhu. Samyukta is a certified financial planner and a SEBI registered investment advisor at iThought. Hi, Harshal. Sam, great to have you on the show. Now, can you just take us through what the interest rate scenario was like in the 2000s? Yeah, of course. Uh, I think we had a very colorful history at that point. And since we're talking about interest rates, I'm mostly going to focus on the repo or the repurchase rate. This is the rate at which the RBI lends to banks. And that's an important metric because it determines the cost of borrowing for the whole economy. Right. After all, if it's going to be more expensive for banks to borrow from the RBI, then it's also going to be more expensive for people like you and me to borrow from banks. So back in 2000, believe it or not, our repo rate was at 11 percent. And to give you some context, today it is 4 percent. Right. In the 2000s, we were in a high inflation economy uh, and you also had the dot com bubble which burst around then. And right after that, your repo rate fell to about 8%. And that was a pretty steep fall. And then there was a more gradual decline to 4.75% in 2004. And I think between that period of 2004 to 2008, right, uh, you had like interest rates broadly like climbing. And you were at about 7 to 7.5% in 2008. And then you had the global financial crisis. And the interest rate fell again to about 4.75% because we needed to be more accommodative in our monetary policy. And it stayed that way till about 2010 as the whole world was sort of dealing with the shocks of the global financial crisis. So then you had like a kind of sweet spot where uh, interest rates were low, growth was picking up. So banks Mm -hmm. were a lot more sort of gung-ho about like lending money. There was a lot of reckless lending that happened at that point. It didn't come without consequences. I think today's NPA crisis sort of stemmed from the reckless lending that happened back then. And by the end of 2010, your repo was at 6.25%. And I think 2011 and 2012 were relatively tame. Your interest rate was moving upwards and it was at 6.75%. But uh, 2013 is a totally different story. Sam, you spoke about how interest rates were around, you know, 4.75, but then they gradually started going north of 7%. So so let's actually talk about what it meant for an economic expansion during that period. So I think when you look at where the interest rates were in that period, they were relatively low, which meant it was kind of attractive for people to borrow money and expand their balance sheets, purchase assets, and, you know, be more aggressive in their growth strategy. And at the same time, you also had banks who were more than willing to lend money to pretty much anybody, right? So a lot of your big commodity players, what they were doing was they were trying to expand their capacity uh, at very low cost. And initially that kind of made sense, but then your interest rates started to move upwards and then it became... Uh, more and more expensive to own this debt and then you weren't really able to use that capacity right and we also spoke about the NPA crisis so 
in the intervening years like i think only recently you've seen some of these balance sheets sort of deleverage uh, and you've also seen a lot of these accounts go into the nclt get consolidated uh, and all of that so now you're seeing the commodity sector in better financial health but there was a period of intense stress for them yeah we went from sweet spot to reckless lending and now it's it's like a restart button now you know we have to start all over again this entire cycle so tell me what is the similarity that you see in how central banks managed the global financial crisis to that of covid hmm okay so i think the two crises are different from like a root cause meaning like your global financial crisis was because of the threat to financial stability because of how institutions had been lending or what kind of like investment practices they were following whereas your covid crisis is more of like a biological and like a health related crisis right but i think the policy response in both cases has been kind of similar in the sense that both have used this thing known as quantitative easing right uh and quantitative easing is just sort of like a very fancy word for printing money when you think about what a central bank does right like how does it control the amount of money that's there in the economy it does it through variety of ways but one of the things uh that it uses is something known as open market operations or omos typically uh an omo is where the central bank is either going to buy government bonds or sell them so if you want more money in the economy you're going to buy bonds and push in cash if you want less money in the economy you're going to do the opposite which is that you're going to sell bonds and take out cash right so omos are typically reserved for uh, government bonds but when it comes to a quantitative easing program then you're also looking at non government bonds and particularly i think in the global financial crisis central bank like the fed came in and bought out a lot of the risky debt now that when you look at the mechanics of what is happening and how that money is flowing it's kind of just very similar to printing money when this happens your central bank's balance sheet kind of swells up and if we just look at the data uh between 2008 and 2014 i think the fed had like their maximum like quantitative easing program and before the financial crisis the fed's balance sheet was less than a trillion dollars by 2017 it was 4 trillion dollars and after the covid crisis it's now at 8 trillion dollars right and this is just what they've already done but there's still a lot that they are committed to doing so the fed is committed to sort of adding 120 billion dollars every month uh, into this quantitative easing po- program where they buy treasuries and agency mortgage backed securities the fact that it is still going to take place where the fed is going to continue to buy see that's something that worries me and you spoke about 2014 right so i'm going to take you a year back where in 2013 our fiscal deficit our current account deficit our inflation they were all going out of control right i'm just trying to get a yes out of you from this Do you see something like this happening again now? No, I don't think we'll see a repeat of 2013 because that's the kind of situation uh that a central bank never wants to be in, right? 
So if we go back to 2013, what happened was overnight in May, the governor decided that uh, it was absolutely necessary to increase the repo rate by 50 basis points. That's like half a percent. And the markets didn't react to this well at all, right? Uh, they went into a tailspin. Your rupee went through a steep depreciation that year. So I think we started 2013 at 53 rupees to a dollar. Uh, at the peak of like, you know, this reaction to what was happening, we were at 68 rupees to a dollar. That's a 30% mm. depreciation in a year. And by the end of the year, we were at 61 rupees to a dollar, which is still kind of like a 15% depreciation. That's a lot for one year. And it's still crazy. Yeah, it's unimaginable, right? Now, I think the reason why you're not going to see a repeat of 2013 is because if we rewind then, like you said, inflation, your current account deficit, your fiscal deficit, all these things were out of control. And I think when that happened, it was kind of a wake-up call for the central bank, for the government, for everybody to get their financial affairs in order and be more responsible with the way that they were spending. That started to happen in 2013 itself. We are also a lot more cautious about uh, these figures, so much so that last year everyone was making noise about, you know, breaching the fiscal deficit, right? But we were in the middle of a crisis, and I think when you're handling a crisis, you need to prioritize and you need to prioritize correctly. So the priority wasn't protecting the fiscal deficit, it was sort of ensuring that economic growth can get back, that you are protecting people and that you are sort of maintaining the health of both people and the economy. But if we look at where we are today, uh, I think inflation is rearing its head. And we were in a current account surplus as of last year, uh, but I doubt that's going to last. But uh, on the fiscal deficit side, I think the government seems more committed to acting responsibly this time. And they've also been quite transparent in terms of saying that, you know, for the, ne for, for the next few years, you are going to have a higher fiscal deficit. And I think the markets are also prepared for that. Now, you're not going to see any sharp movements in terms of interest rates. I think part of the reason why that happened in 2013 was because inflation was totally out of control, right? And since then, we've moved to an inflation targeting mandate so that we get early warning signals, right? So if you know that inflation is too far out of control, you're able to respond to it early enough and you don't let it spiral out of control and then react very violently. Mm. And uh, your interest rate movements are going to be upwards and gradual. I don't think there's much space for us to go lower than where we are today. And if there's something that we learned from 2020, it's that liquidity is better at transmission uh, than your actual repo rate number, right? And we have this very delicate balance between growth and inflation because even prior to COVID, I think India was dealing with growth issues, right? You didn't have enough credit offtake. Uh, you had this NPA crisis, so banks needed more capital, uh, all of that was happening uh, behind the scenes. But I think since COVID's come in, like everybody's just been focused on that. So I think everything is going to be gradual, measured and, uh, you know, calibrated. It's not going to be one steep movement one way. Before I let you go, Sam, we all want to know this, right? 
everybody wants an answer out of this so I, i i just want to know what your view is how do you think the central banks are going to manage interest rates and inflation and how are they going to manage their currency because inflation is coming right with so much stimulus it's definitely going to be difficult for them to control it yeah um but here's an interesting like contrarian theory that's not very widely accepted yet it's that central banks can't really control inflation right case in point being japan for decades they've had low inflation or low inflation right and uh, they've been very active with their monetary policy but it hasn't really made a significant dent and i think inflation is tricky because of course one part is commodity prices and you know like things becoming more expensive but the other side of inflation is what people expect and how people behave right uh, and what i mean is that if people expect that prices are going to go up then there's going to be a tendency to hoard right and when people start hoarding prices will go up because of their supply and demand dynamics and when the prices go up you're going to have people uh, sort of uh, want to hoard more because this reinforces their confirmation bias that the price was going to increase anyway so if that part is in control like behaviorally if you don't see that changing then you could end up in a very vicious cycle but i think as far as india is concerned right now we don't have to worry about food inflation because this is the third consecutive year where we are experiencing a normal monsoon and i think mm-hmm. we also have like surplus reserves in the public distribution system see the dollar index has corrected since covid right and our forex reserves are at an all time high so do you think that there is a need or why is there a need for the rbi to keep the rupee at where it is today uh, the rbi has come under a lot of fire for this you know the fact that uh, <laughs> they're intervening in the forex market they're not really letting the rupee appreciate or like you know allowing the market forces to work on this but uh, and you're right like we do have like an all time high forex reserve i think between 2020 and 2021 we bought 100 billion us dollars right um but i think what is required at this point is that you're worried about currency depreciation you're worried about higher inflation and of course like a weaker rupee is good for exports but if commodity prices are rising and that's something that we're noticing you don't really want your rupee to depreciate too much right as a central bank because at the end of the day we are a net uh, importing country and i think we are on a better wicket today because the rbi has these reserves and in if we hadn't intervened and if we hadn't bought uh, more dollars then i don't think we would be on as strong a wicket so i think actually you also asked about interest rate movements right um and i think by and large what we'll see is that uh, at least domestically we'll have to look at global factors and i think those interest rate movements are going to synchronize at some level uh because initially like the fed said that you know they were committed to an accommodative stance until 2023 but if we look at their recent minutes they 
there's like a tone of cautious optimism meaning that if things continue to look good maybe the fed will tone down its uh, quantitative easing asset purchase program and i think those movements are going to be kind of gradual mm-hmm. and we can't really go lower in terms of interest rates right uh, and i think what could happen is that the rbi will sort of gradually withdraw liquidity and then raise rates uh, keeping in mind that they have like an inflation target uh, to work towards but i think this is just one of the many ways in which they could implement monetary policy uh and we can wait to see how this unravels thanks sam for coming on the show i spent a lot of your time but it was great to hear your insights and i hope to connect with you soon thanks harshal for having me on the show uh, a lot of great questions and i can't wait to come back it's been great talking to you